are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. I'm going to play a a video clip here to introduce my uh, thought tonight, and uh, if you can play it. We didn't test it. I gave it to him last minute, but uh, I'm going to try to play it here. Thank you. Do you need me to play that again? Here, play it again. Just play it again. Does everybody know what he's trying to spell? Yes. And so I want to talk to you tonight on this topic, hidden Christianity. Hidden Christianity. I thought that was a, a beautiful clip Greg Meadows shared with me right before service, and it's his grandson, uh, Jude, uh, singing that, uh, Jude Longstreth. And um, somewhere in there is Christianity. Somewhere in there was the word Christian in that song. And I want to talk to you about hidden Christianity. You're probably familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, and... Uh, it's a pretty popular text, uh, uh, pretty popular uh, element to Jesus' life and something we talk about often. The first thing that's important to understand about the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look through it, so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look through it a little bit, but the Sermon on the Mount was not meant for everybody. It wasn't meant for the general population. Jesus specifically spoke the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples. It was not for the multitudes. It was for disciples. It was for people who had either made a decision or were considering making a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And so when we read the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of it, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up to a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. So his disciples are coming to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So he's talking to his disciples, but it's interesting, even in this verse, 5 verse 2, this is not like a redundant statement. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. Because, in fact, Christ would teach without saying. He was able to teach without ever saying anything. But in this particular case, he opened his mouth to teach. And I think that's just a great little side note that hopefully all of us understand that we don't just teach by what we say. We teach by how we live. But Jesus opened his mouth and he began to teach. And the first section you're probably familiar with, it's the Beatitudes. This first portion is known as the Beatitudes in which there is this idea of blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's it's literally is the word happy. Happy are they who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he continues to walk through the Beatitudes. We're not going to go through them, but he's kind of starting it off, and it's 
It's a little bit strange, but again, he's talking to disciples, those who are going to serve him. And then he gets done with the Beatitudes, and, and uh, he, he ends with, blessed are you, in verse 11, when they'll revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then he, he, he goes into, in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. We read, read Robin yesterday, and I told him, I said, on this table right now is a biblical reference. So I said, you got to find the biblical reference. And she said, I can't remember what the first thing she said. I can't remember. And it was very, very insightful, and it was correct, and it was biblical. Bottomless pit. They have bottomless fries. She said bottomless pit. I said, no, but that's correct. There is a bottomless reference in the Bible. But she, then on the salt shaker, it said salt of the earth. And so we know that context of salt, that we are salt of the earth. And if the salt loses its flavor, how will it be seasoned? And then verse 14, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that can't be hid. And then Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so he's letting them know that there's something that needs to come out of their life and light and salt impact the world. And then he goes into a discussion about the law in the keeping of the law. He said, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill, verse 17. And then verse 20, he says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he begins to talk specifically about the law. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And then he introduces a new law, verse 22. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And verse 23 makes further application to it in a very specific context. He says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift, therefore, before the altar. Go your way and be reconciled to your brother. And he talks about agree with your adversary. Tough words, tough application, as if the law wasn't hard enough. He adds an element to it. And then he says, you have heard it said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But there's a new law. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has com already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he talks about marriage further. It has been said, he's bringing about the law. Would whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. New law, but I say to you that whoever divorces life for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. And so these are tough sayings. And then he talks about Lying, he said, you shall not, you've heard it said, you shall, shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. Then he says, there's a new law, but I say to you, do not swear at all, 
neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it's his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black biologically. Right? We're getting close. But let your yes be yes and your no be no for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. He's giving them these new laws. And then he talks about revenge. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Again, it's talking about revenge not abuse, and so I want, I, I want to add that tonight, that I don't believe that the Lord calls us to just be abused in life, that we are to protect ourselves, we are to protect our children from harm. But he goes on, he says, if anyone sues you or takes away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him to give to him who asks. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. It's this new law. And then love, he says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And he goes on, he talks about the tax collector. He says, therefore you shall, verse 48, therefore you shall be perfect or Brought to completion, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's, that's pretty tough stuff. I mean, he talks with the, the Beatitudes, kind of set things in motion, and then he lays out the law that, that he hadn't come to do away with the law, but he's actually fulfilling the law, that there's more to the law than just these rules and regulations. He's saying there's, there's another aspect to it, and he, he gives this list, anger and lust and marriage and truth-telling and revenge and love. He sets up these six topics before he says them. Remember, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And he says that, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so Jesus emphasizes a very important principle. Christianity is meant to be lived visibly. It's meant to be lived visibly that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are salt. We are light. We are to be an example. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, Paul said, I'm not ashamed. In 2 Timothy 1.8, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me, his prisoner, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And so we're to live righteously before men. The scripture would tell us that we are to have a good reputation. 
First Peter chapter 2, 11. Be, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, Peter would have heard the words of Jesus. He would have been standing there when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And he says, let that you, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. It's as if Peter is reciting Jesus. And so we are clearly in Scripture to be a visible example. Anthony Sizemore preached a great message this Sunday on the importance of your testimony and what beautiful testimonies we got to hear on Sunday. Because visibility is vital. Your Christianity is not meant to be lived out in some cave or some private way. It's meant to be visible. But Jesus follows these visible elements of a disciple by letting us know there's another element to Christianity. See, we read chapter 5 all the way through, and then verse 1 of chapter 6, he says this now, same sermon, literally right after he gets done talking about these things. He says, take heed that you do not do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And then he goes on, when, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Verse number 16, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust doth uh, destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. So Jesus kind of turns the table, doesn't he, a little bit? 
You're the light of the world. You're the salt. You're meant to be seen by men so that they can glorify God through your good works. And then he says, take heed that you don't do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. ESV says, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people. Well, isn't that the point? Herein we find the paradox of Christian living. It's the paradox of visible Christianity versus hidden Christianity. Should I just blend into the crowd and culture so as not to be seen? And from whom are we to hide our Christianity and discipleship? As we read, it seems that Jesus said we're not supposed to hide it to men, to people, for we are called to be light. So what are we supposed to do? What is the answer to this conundrum? I don't know that I've got it right, but I want to submit this to you. That we are to hide our visibility, not from others, but I submit to ourselves. He said, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. In other words, you are, are, the, you are the one that needs to be hidden from your own works. People need to see them, but you need to be hidden from them. And so I suppose that in some way we've got to hide our works from our carnal nature. I would suggest today that we not allow our carnal man to have input into our good works. Jesus called on us not uh, on us to not just ask what is the right thing to do, but he calls on us to bring into question our motives for why we're doing what we do. He requires us to ask the question to ourselves, to ourselves, why are you doing what you are doing? And only we can answer that question. We are to move forward doing the things we are asked to do. We're to do the right things. However, we must be careful that we don't get so enamored with our own righteous activity that we lose sight of the one we are supposed to be bringing glory to. We are, not, we are to be seen, not because of what we are doing, but we are to be seen because of who we represent. This is the motive of our visibility. The paradox is you are to be visible, but your visibility cannot be your motive. You are to be visible, but your visibility can't be your motive. It would be easy for our visibility to be our motive for doing the right thing. It was the motive for the Pharisees. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. They were doing the right thing. They were doing right things. But he called into question this importance of hidden Christianity, this importance of right motives in everything that you're doing. 
he would tell married men know that, that they need to observe certain laws. But it's not just the, the checklist so you can say you've done it. But there is a hidden Christianity that you have to observe. He, he would call on married men. And, and married men, if we're honest, we know a thing or two about doing things for an ulterior motive. And I would say that the women and wives do the same. You do things that are right because there's an ulterior motive. Teenagers do things. How many have teenagers and you know that they do some things out of a, an ulterior motive? Usually sounds like, you know, Dad, I love you so much. You're so awesome, Dad. But then the question is, what do you want? You know, we can forgive. We can forgive with the wrong motive. We can refrain from lusting for the wrong motive. You can be kind for the wrong motive. Jesus dives down even farther to the most necessary aspects of Christian living and says, when you give, the right thing to do, give. But you can do it in the wrong way, and it eliminates and cut off, cuts off your heavenly reward. That's astounding. Why? Because of hidden Christianity. You can pray, which is one of the, the most fundamental things you would do as a Christian, and you can literally relinquish the heavenly blessing of prayer with a wrong motive with a hidden element that is not right with God. That's how powerful it is. You can fast, and how ridiculous it would be to fast, and at the end of it, not reap a heavenly reward. That's just the most preposterous, stupidest thing that anyone would ever do. Why fast? But you could do, you could do it. You could be visible. You could have this visible Christianity. And yet because of the hidden part of your Christian walk, miss out on the reward. And so Jesus calls on us not to do the right thing in front of people to be seen. But we do the right things in front of people to bring glory to God. This obviously is very difficult to achieve. We must be visible, but our visibility is not an end unto itself. We cannot reflect on what we have done only and only ask, was it the right thing to do? But we must ask the ever tough question, why did I do it? What was my motive behind it? And if the answer comes back that I have done this for my own glory or for my own reward or my own affirmation, then I must bow a knee and ask God to forgive me for pride and selfish ambition. So we check our motives. Hidden Christianity, visible Christianity and hidden Christianity are both important. Sometimes we get away with this visible Christianity and we never check our motives. 
As the comedian, Christian comedian John Chris says, check your heart. Check your heart. We come up against the real work of discipleship. This is where we come up to the real work of discipleship and, and being a disciple. It is living your life not based on a list of check boxes and rules that you do because it keeps you in the club or it gives you certain opportunities. We are to live out our life with a desire first and foremost to bring honor and glory to God. Paul calls it having faith. Paul calls hidden Christianity having faith. See, in addressing the issue between the Jewish customs and the law and the Gentiles, he expresses this idea. The Jewish Christians were trying to impose dietary restrictions on the Gentiles. And so Romans, Paul writes to the Romans, he says, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is not from faith is sin. That our lives lived, every visible thing that we do to bring glory and honor to God must be done in faith. And what is the danger of doing the right thing with the wrong motive? Well, let's just take a quick look at the Pharisees. They clearly did the right thing, but they had the wrong motive. And Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. He doesn't say you shouldn't have a clean outside of the dish. He doesn't discount and throw away the idea that your visibility is important to other people. He said, but first you have to take care of the hidden Christianity, the heart, the motives, the things that are driving you. And he said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full, and watch what he says, of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Hypocrisy and lawlessness. And when we live our lives out without faith and we live out our righteous deeds without a thought of faith, of bringing glory to God, we risk being hypocritical and lawless. We are in danger of causing others to experience righteousness through the sewage of human activity only. And it leaves an awful taste in their mouth about what Christianity is all about. What is the biggest complaint against Christians? They're hypocrites. But what human organization is not hypocritical? It's an unfortunate result of sin. 
People tend towards hypocrisy in every facet of life because we are so prone to obeying just enough to get by. And so we begin to look for loopholes and we look for ways around things. And and so organizations, government, and unfortunately the church, people in the church do the same thing. And many times we miss the point of our righteous behavior and we live by standards, but forget that our standards are not our attempt to be visible, but our attempt to allow God to receive glory through our lives. And if our standards become our watermark of whether or not we are righteous, then we have sadly missed the true blessing that comes through a disciplined life. We have our reward. Our disciplined life, the way of holiness, is the way in which we allow God to receive glory through our lives. And it should be the way in which we keep things out so that God can shine in our lives. Our discipline and our restraint from certain worldly activity is meant to allow us to have more time for the things of God, not just to check off a list that says, I don't do this. Our discipline of financing and giving is not so we can acknowledge and be acknowledged for what we have given, but it's our statement of faith that says, God, you are the owner of everything, and I trust you with my first because you will take care of the rest. It's a statement of faith. Our discipline and lifestyle decisions is not so we can portray an image of piety or even professionalism, but it is so we don't have to, we don't become so consumed by our lifestyle and worldly mindset that people only see us and not the love of God that has been shown in our hearts. Romans 5, 5, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we look to bring glory to God in every decision, every statement, every lifestyle discipline. Everything we do is meant to bring glory to God. If it has any other motive, it's the wrong motive. And so Jesus said, even so, and he told the Pharisees, even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Hypocrisy I get. The word literally means actor on a stage. That's what he's saying. You're an actor on a stage. That you're playing by the rules for show, but it's not for real. I get that. I can understand that about the Pharisees. But he calls them lawless. Of all the people to call lawless, you wouldn't think he would call the Pharisees lawless. Because they were all about the law. But Jesus said, no, actually, you're living in a way that beats the drum of tradition and custom, but not to my heartbeat for the kingdom. We are in danger of living by our own laws 
rather than the heartbeat of God. When our heart is lawless, we are in danger of falling prey to false doctrine. Paul told Timothy, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside to fables. As I conclude tonight, I'm reminded of what Paul told the Philippian church. He said, therefore... In chapter 2, verse 1, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. You see, the essence of Christianity is not just about what we do. The The essence of Christianity is about how we think. It's having the same mind as Christ. And I understand the audience I'm talking to, and I'm not trying to make anybody nervous or make anybody mad tonight. I don't know where I'm at on your spectrum of where you think I'm talking about. But I want you to understand that there's a very clear message here. Visibility in Christian living is absolutely necessary. It's absolutely necessary. At the same time, a hidden Christianity is absolutely necessary. These are not mutually exclusive. There's not one that should be more than the other. It's all important to us living out and being who God called us to be. And so he said, therefore, is there any consolation in Christ, any comfort, any love? Fulfill my joy, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. But he's not saying that we should just agree with each other. But he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than himself. How do we get there? Let each of you look not out on your own interests, but also on the interests of others. How do we get there? There's this mindset that we're supposed to have. He says in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That this is the mindset, this is the mindset that who being in the form of God did not consider it it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." So do we stop giving? No. Do we stop fasting? Do we stop living a holy life? Do we stop doing the right things? No. But I would charge us today, take a step back and look at your own heart, look at your own motives that Jesus clearly tells us is important. That why are we doing, why are you personally doing the things that you're doing to bring honor, hopefully, to the Lord? 
because we are visible. We are visible not for our own glory, but for his glory. We have to be honest with ourselves about our motives. We must find, we must find that place of both visible Christianity and hidden Christianity. Would you stand with me tonight? There's so many opportunities that we have in this life to impact people's lives. We're called to be salt. We're called to be salt in this earth. We're called to be light. We're called to shed light in this earth. And I am committed to the apostolic doctrine. I'm committed to the doctrine of the new birth, repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name. I'm committed to the doctrine of who God is and his oneness. I'm committed to the doctrine of living a life that is dedicated and separated for his glory. Our church is founded on that. We're built on that. We've succeeded because of those doctrines. And what we're called tonight to look at is not whether those things are right and wrong. Those things are right. All those things are right. The question is, why do we do what we do? When's the last time you really looked into the heart and said, God, am I doing this out of faith? Am I doing this out of a need to bring glory and honor to your name, or am I doing it because just the church asked me to, or this is kind of the tradition that I grew up in, or I'm checking off a box so I can be a part of a ministry team. What's, what's the real motivation? And I'm, I'm hoping to challenge all of us that everything we do, Paul seemed to reiterate that anything that we do that steps outside of faith is not right. Not that it's not right and the behavior's not right, but it's not going to accomplish what we thought it would accomplish. And I'm challenged by that. I, I know there's a little bit of tension that we feel between visibility and invisibility. But I feel that the Lord is, is challenging us tonight. But it's not a time to throw every visible thing away. In fact, Jesus seems to indicate the opposite. He would say, the law says. But I would say to you, when you understand who I am and the power that I've done, what I've done for you, that I would call you to even more. But not so you can be seen by men. Not so you can be noticed by everybody. But so what? So men can see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven that you begin to live your life in a way that brings glory. Everything you're doing is bringing glory to God. It's hidden Christianity. I want to pray for us tonight. Lord, I thank you, God, for your faithfulness. I thank you for your kindness and your love.
God, you demonstrated your love for us while we were yet sinners. You died for us. You truly lived out the Sermon on the Mount. You truly lived out these difficult things, and you called on us to have that same mind, that we would not live our lives in a way that just seeks to reward ourselves or seeks for us to have some kind of a recognition or affirmation, Lord, but every decision we make, I pray it would be made in faith. Lord, there is a power in faith. There is a power when we live our lives and we make decisions out of faith. And I pray that we would be men and women of faith tonight. God, check our hearts, check our decisions, check our motives. Lord, be the Lord of our life, I pray. We want to be your disciples. We want to be your followers tonight. And I pray, oh God, challenge us by your word. Challenge us by what we're reading tonight, what we're hearing tonight. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.